Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. All right, there we go. This is Recyclables Presents Free Therapeutic from Therapy. Welcome. Uh, for those of you who may or may not have followed me on social media for a long time after my therapy appointments, I would share kind of what I learned. One of the privileges I am very aware of having is that I see a therapist on a pretty regular basis uh, since since one of the more uh, traumatic events to put some stress post into my life. And I've, I've always wanted to try to share what I get from that with other people. I mean, honestly, I've always, like, not as high on the list as being a comedian was or designing magic cards ever was. Uh, but I've always wanted to be, like, a, a therapist-type person. When I was younger, that meant I wanted to be, like, a pastor because I kind of thought that's what, like being a pastor was, was just kind of listening to people's problems and helping them figure it out. And as I got older, I kind of started seeing that more in therapy. We can do an episode of Recyclables about therapy sometime, but free therapeutic from therapy is because I, I, I grew up in my head. Like nobody, no, nobody taught me this. It's just my brain's ability to conceptualize money has never been good, which is to say I've always thought it's weird that we pay for things that we need or else we die. Uh, food, it's never made sense to me that we pay for food, uh, especially because we just poop it out. So like we're, we're, we're paying to make poop later, it's never made sense to me. Uh, the fact that we pay for housing just seems cruel, you know, like and the fact that we pay for healthcare is is really fucking absurd to me. If I if I can if I can cuss on my own show, uh, and as a kid, I honestly just thought like going to school to be a doctor meant that like you had passed some test and they were like, oh yeah, you can you can doctor. And uh, I was I was very disappointed when I realized like. The people who get to be doctors aren't the people who want to help people the most. It's it's the people who want to help people the most who can afford to take the time to become a doctor, right? Like it's it's this that you know uh, uh, if a person without a house has a child, that child isn't very likely to get to become a doctor because of the cost of college, uh, because of the the cost of all of the steps before you're a doctor cost money. And then when you're a doctor, there's no guarantee that you're going to make like a ton of money, especially if you're like, hey, I want to help my community. So you you end up being like, well, I could become a doctor or I could become the manager of a, get a porn store, whatever, whatever, whatever level of accessibility to a, a career you have is what you get to do. Uh, and that's always been kind of disappointing to me. And I think one of the ways around that is we, we share the ways we can. Uh, and that's what this is, free therapeutics from therapy. Because also, 
like the things I can get from therapy, the things I need from therapy are different than the things other people might need for ther from therapy, right? Like I go particularly because I have really strong PTSD. Uh, the things I need out of therapy are going to be different than the things that a person who didn't go through those exact events, right? Like, I don't need therapy about how to question authority figures. All I do is question authority figures. But I do need therapy about how to trust people that I might perceive as authority figures because of my own inherent trust issue, right? Like, those are, those are, I, I might not need help dealing with, uh, uh, as a as a kid, I never had to struggle with uh, reading comprehension. Books just even when books were hard to read, they always they they've always made sense to me to a certain degree. Uh, and and so I don't honestly need uh, a therapist to tell me that I'm good enough, even if I can't read. I do need a therapist that tells me, "Hey, you're good enough, even if you uh, can't do jobs because of your disability." Uh, and I can have empathy for a person who who struggles with reading, but it is not going to be the same thing. They're going to have a different struggle. However, maybe something that I share about struggling with my disabilities helps them understand or contextualize, helps them understand or contextualize their own disability. And then, you know, we're we're off to the races. We're, we're doing a community, you know, we're doing an anarchy. Uh, and so that's that's what I'm trying to do with this. In this first episode, I wanted to talk about a thing that's a thing that I think uh, filters out into society kind of as a whole. Uh, and I, I it, it, it's something that's at least gotten me to philosophize a bit. And uh, one of the one of the things I really appreciate about my therapist is that he he kind of agrees with me that you don't necessarily need to go to school to become a therapist or a philosopher or a, or a comedian. That you can just do those things and, and as life allows you, pursue the calling better, right? Like, I'm never going to call myself a therapist, but I will definitely be like, hey, I'm willing to, do you need somebody to listen? You know what I mean? Uh, I, I will pretentiously call myself a, a, a recyclables philosopher but that's just because like you know i at least like exploring these ideas even if i have no formal training i i know by a lot of measures i am not a professional comedian uh, but i still think anybody who hangs out with me won't deny that i'm a comedian and and i think i think putting up a, a paywall between people and their ability to do these sort of natural things that should exist is uh, one of the problems with our society uh so so to fight that let's talk about let's talk about a thing uh that my shrink and i have taken to calling modeling um and i don't mean modeling as in like the on stage look at this avant-garde fashion in paris i mean modeling as in a a model for success model in the terms of role models uh one of the things i struggled with i had a very very chaotic childhood even when things were stable it was a kind of stable chaos like like the 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 real beauty of growing up with a abusive narcissist is every day is different but every day is kind of the same because it's always about them and be because of that like i don't have 
models of stability to look back on as an adult. I have models for survival, you know, models for getting through a situation so that I can go from point A to point B without being deader inside than I started, uh, which arguably isn't necessarily useful, but, but, but I also, uh, I, I do have other models. I had role models as a child who, at least even if they weren't able to show it to me on a consistent basis, showed me kind of the patterns to how things should and could be. And I, uh, I don't want to sell my family completely short. Here's the deal. I think of family uh, under a kind of anarchic model. I, I have this overall philosophy about life that not everyone agrees with, that nobody asks you if you want to be born, right? Because if somebody had said to me, hey, you're going to be born with a tumor, and then you're going to lose three of your vertebrae, and it will cause a domino effect of a lack of stability in your life, and there is a good chance that you will spend a great deal of your life uh, in physical pain and turmoil. I don't know that I would have consented to that existence. You know, if somebody asked me if I wanted to do that now, if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, do you want to have that? I don't know that most people would consent to existence. So to me, in the end, uh, because you can't consent to being made, you're not required to consent to the conditions of your birth, uh, which is just a roundabout way of saying, I don't think family is who you are born to. And that means uh, I model my notion of family off of something other than the biological construct, which is to say specifically, you, you don't have to have combined your spermazoa with someone's eggazoa to make a patazoa to be my father and or mother rather uh if you are willing to to treat me maternally and or paternally in a way that i consent to then i will probably see you as a paternal um, or maternal figure inversely if, if you engage with me as a mentor right and as somebody that you can learn things from uh, and are willing to kind of give me a little bit of authority, I am going to treat you as, a, as not a child, but I will treat you as I would my own child. And, and I also, uh, because of that, I have always treated my own child as though they get to consent about whether or not I am their parent. But also siblings. I have a lot of people that, like, we are very emotionally close uh and and they mean a great deal to me uh and i see them as as siblings as as or cousins or whatever they want to consent to being one of the more annoying parts about recording uh <laughs> is, is sometimes i don't have like if i want absolute quiet i have to record it like 2.30 a.m., uh, 3 a.m., and that's not going to happen these days. I'm not doing 3 a.m.s anymore, and so I'm, like, trying to record between bouts of traffic outside my place. It's a little bit weird. Anyway.
in therapy, like one of the models of of things that I struggle with is uh, uh, models of masculinity, models of being a man, uh, because overall, uh, a lot of the men in my life have been disappointing in a, in a lot of regards. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my 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 biological dad was was a very racist man. Was like uh, not ex like white supremacist in the way that we are all white supremacists because we live in a system that was established and perpetrated by white supremacists. Yes, but also a man who was openly racist, like who was openly like was very verbal about it in, in a way that even as a kid I was oftentimes incredibly uncomfortable with uh and i only laugh because i can just i remember times as a kid where i was like this makes me uncomfortable and as an adult i'm like it is weird the amount of prescience i had like i don't my 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 point is uh that because of that my, my models of masculinity were oftentimes from pop culture uh like i've oftentimes told people one of the the ways i model being a dad is from TV dads, uh, which is to say dads in TV are trying to be empathetic. Uh, they're trying to be uh, stable. Um, they are willing to admit mistakes. Uh, and they are willing to offer what guidance and wisdom they have. Overall, these are the, the, the cultural traits that we have kind of agreed are good dads, and we put them into TV shows and, and movies. Honestly, Benjamin Sisko from Star Trek Deep Space Nine has been more of a model of what I think a father should be like than the model I had for myself, uh, from my biological dad. And that's, I, I don't know if that's, that's just an example. And one of the things I truly struggle with uh, in therapy is that I don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of adult, a lot of people I try to be not like. You know, uh, like to use a celebrity example, I desperately try, if, if I know about something that, say, Donald Trump has done, I don't want to be like that. You know, I, it, it's part of why I'm such a trepidatious person who is kind of constantly questioning themselves, is I have modeled, I, I have decided to kind of create a, a, a negative space and model myself on not that. So I'm, I'm like doing a weird like doubling back. Like what is that? I don't want that. Who am I thing? Uh, and I, I, I do that a lot with a lot of people. You know, I like for example, when I'm around uh, people I am attracted to, I try to base my interactions not on what feels like I want to do, but on what I've seen be perceived as bad and do not that. Uh, which isn't isn't a model for behavior. It is merely a a model. It's merely it's like it's like trying to go somewhere in a map by saying, "Hey, I'm not going in this part of the map." It serves a purpose for elimination, but it doesn't allow you to build anything new. And and because of that modeling come is oftentimes on my mind. You know, I think about various models for success right like one of the things i really struggle with is i don't have an intimate model for success in my life one of the things that i have i have really come to realize when 
exploring and examining the idea of models in this this kind of role model sense is the lack of modeling I have had available is intrinsically tied to my my place uh, kind of class wise kind of kind of in the greater socioeconomic system uh, there's an old there's an old George Carlin bit where he points out money doesn't buy happiness money buys options and it buys opportunity and it buys time and if you have enough opportunity and time and kind of security then you know it's the closest you can get to happiness really and kind of one of the annoying things about being poor is you don't get a lot of models you know for for additional success uh like like I, I don't know what it looks like when somebody has a job that they love because nobody in my life growing up ever had a job that they loved. Like like people on the periphery, people who I, I had a lot of teachers who, who were good mentors and I had a lot of people in the church that I went to who were good mentors, you know, but nobody that I woke up and just knew was going to be in my life ever went to work happy to go to work and that models something for you when you see it over and over and over again growing up that way meant that i've never looked at a job as a thing i could love or enjoy or that that i i might choose to do i i one of these days i really am going to do a kind of full recyclables on malcolm gladwell uh, because I used to really enjoy and appreciate his work, and I don't these days. Uh, but there's a, a, a piece of his writing that stuck out, sticks out to me when I think about this. Uh, he was writing about how they did research into rich kids and poor kids, and what it was like when they went to the doctor. And when rich people go to the doctor, when people in the upper end of the socioeconomic stratum go to the doctor, they go to the doctor as though they are an employee. Uh, and when you are poorer, uh, you don't do that. I.e., what, what I mean specifically is like when you're wealthier, you go to the doctor's appointment like this person has a job for which I have hired them to do. And if they don't do it, well, that that's going to fuck them over because I they're my employee. They have to do what I say. Uh, poorer people go into a doctor with, with the kind of tacit assumption that the doctor is an authority figure, is, is a figure uh, who, a higher person in station, which means you're not there to ask them questions, you're there to answer their question, right? So, so wealthier kids tend to be taught to ask their doctors questions, to say, hey, uh, I want this done, hey, here's what I'm feeling. Poorer kids are tend to be tend to be taught. Look, you're going to the doctor because you have to, right? Not because something could be wrong and you want to be proactive, but because something is wrong and you need to find out how to fix it. And this person isn't working for you. You're giving this person. Uh, uh, you're asking this person to take time out of their station and give it to you. And that's a it's a different relationship, and it means you have a different interaction with your doctor when you're going in. Now magnify that for everything and change it all over the place. That is why uh, upper middle class white women will always 
have a different relationship with the police than almost anyone else. Not only because of, of the, the system has been set up such that they will have that, but because repeatedly they have been shown a model that what they're doing is successful and has been reinforced systemically, you know, by, by the prompt uh, response times by the police, by taking action that will favor uh, uh, the, the Karen in the situation, by uh, addressing her needs and assuming her not to be a criminal. Whereas a lot of other people, specifically, of course, younger black people, are going to have a relationship where the police assume they are the criminal. They are someone doing something wrong. Uh, and, and because that model keeps happening, that's what we base our patterns and behaviors off of. Uh, that is why, honestly, like, like if, if we just killed all the billionaires tomorrow, that wouldn't fix a lot of stuff because there's a lot of systems in place that will kind of make new billionaires, right? Like, like the system's already in place to kind of benefit a certain uh, uh, cross-section of humanity way more than every other cross-section. But also, it, it's hard to envision other things because the models have been repeated so often. Like, personally, that's why I tend to seek out fantasy and fiction that have happier more philosophical bent sometimes like i've lately i've been diving into uh dnd games right like people playing dnd online because a lot of a, a lot of it is we are heroic heroes trying to make a change in a desperate world and i want to see that modeled in my entertainment because i want more of that uh to be in the forefront of my mind you know and i'm not saying that there's not a place for for tragedies or for dramas or for anything like that it's just I, I i want modeled for myself at times certain kinds of things right that also kind of transitions into this thing of like like modeling on a personal level is the people around me right like the people my intimate uh relationships modeling on a bigger level is how we kind of build up traditions and traditions are how we create culture, you know, uh, like, like, like to use a little history, uh, to jump back from, from the fiction. One of the reasons we have to give history its fair context when we consider morality of the time is they oftentimes didn't have somebody modeling something else for them to see. The people who are like kind of trendsetters or whatever, I, I think the thing that's really um, worth calling out about them or noticing about them is that oftentimes they didn't exactly have models for what they were doing. Uh, and, and sometimes what we recognize as success was really just someone emulating a model. Uh, like Julius Caesar, for example. One of the things that makes him unique in history is, is kind of that, at least from my perspective, is that he, he was modeling himself after a certain kind of person. There was guys there, there were guys who had come before who were like, hey, I'm going to take over all of Rome and kind of unify us and, and, and take kind of empirical control over this nation. Uh, but they were, they were never successful to the degree 
that uh, Gaius Julius Caesar was. But once it happens, it becomes easier to do because somebody has modeled that pattern of success for you. Augustus, who comes along like a generation later, it, it, he has an easier time gaining empirical control because he has a model based on what Caesar did. Caesar has his model based on what the brothers, or shit, it wasn't the brothers, Krakai, there's somebody else. Uh, but, but once that model gets set in place and gets repeated and gets established, it becomes a tra tradition. And cultures, as we've explored a number of times in past episodes, are built up of our tradition. Uh, which is why this kind of individual inter interpersonal modeling matters so much and, and, and why being conscientious of it matters so much and why I'm conscientious of it in my fiction. One of the really nice things I appreciate about my therapist is he really does let me explore ideas like this. And, and one of the things, one of my obsessions is, is uh, Rick from Rick and Morty because Rick models a certain kind of behavior as being acceptable even if it is inappropriate uh which is to say rick sanchez who if you haven't watched rick and morty uh the the character of rick sanchez the titular rick is an asshole he's not a nice guy he's self-centered he's a drunk he's a lot of things <laughs> chemically wise uh, but he's the smartest guy in a number of universes, which means he can always find a way to fix whatever problem is in front of him. And in the context of the show, Rick is always right because of this. And so what this models is that as long as you are smart and you are correct in your smartness, it doesn't matter any of your personal flaws because you will succeed because as the titular Rick in Rick and Morty, as, as the, the guy in charge, the guy who's the smartest, you are always right. And it doesn't matter if you're miserable, right? Because you're always right. And that was, that's what becomes modeled. And at the same time, that model is a reflection, I think, of what our culture thinks of people who are like that. Uh, because Rick isn't the only Rick. There's a lot of Ricks out there. Uh, house from the show House, Sherlock Holmes, uh, the, the guy from 30 Rock that that one murderer played. These are all examples. Uh, Tina Fey also is an example of a, of a kind of Rick, a person who, because they are the smartest, they are correct even when they are wrong and uh, antagonistic. And I think that's a reflection of what our culture believes, which is that if you are somehow right you must be the smartest person in the room. Or, if you're the smartest person in the room, you will always be right. And if you're not right, it must be because you're not the smartest person in the room. Because, in a real way, Rick is just Thomas Jefferson. Like, not in a, in a, in a direct line, but Thomas Jefferson is an asshole who was full of flaws. But he got to be a president, so clearly he must be... Like, even though he, he enslaved people and uh, assaulted children sexually, and I, I uh, was responsible for a number of very unwise choices uh, on a kind of uh, federal level, and was usually on more drugs than even I want to contemplate, and I'm actually, I'm, Jesus, I'm sober at the moment. That's a scary thought. Anyway, sidetracking of that. 
we as a country, as a uh, society, have decided, like, ricks should exist, they should be emulated, and that it is acceptable to see that. And, and we model that over and over again. Uh, and, and, and I know it's a hump, skip, and a jump away from this argument to, the video games are causing violence! But that's not actually what I'm saying here. Well, what I'm saying here is that let, let's let's take a very popular video game that that thing is usually placed on Grand Theft Auto, and what Grand Theft Auto is is modeling is is not that necessarily these things are good. The moral judgment isn't there. It is merely modeling that if you do these things, there can be a kind of success. So it's modeling more than anything else for you that extreme violent answers are an option and that they can be successful. That's not to say that like playing video games is going to make you violent. What that is to say is that playing games where the solution is shooting 90% of the time regularly is going to put you into a mind for is going to model violence as a solution to a problem for you. The same way, for example, living in a white supremacist country is gonna model for you white supremacist behaviors the same way having neglectful parents is gonna model neglect like, like to kind of circle that square to to, to kind of get to what i'm talking about as i mentioned i didn't have good uh father model growing up my, my own dad was not a great guy uh, and i was fortunate that there was uh, an uncle, a great uncle, uh, a guy I went to church with, and a few, more than a few teachers who, who saw that there was not a male role model in my life and, and did an effort to step in and say, like, they, they weren't like, hey, I'll be your dad, but more accurately, they were like, hey, I can model masculinity for you in a way that is not that. Uh, and, and I was also cognizant of the fact that, like, there were certain models of, because of the women in my life, because I was raised by a mom and the aunts and my grandma, I, I was cognizant of, of the view of men such that I was able to kind of create a sort of flimsy model to base myself upon. But there's a timeline where maybe my dad had custody of me and I didn't have access to those role models. And that, that means I'm a, I, I could have been a dramatically different person. And, and so I am kind of cognizant of as poor of a set of models as I had, I was very lucky for the time and place to get the models that I got. And, and, and what all that is to say is that if you didn't have, if you didn't have good models for things growing up, if you're only really kind of considering what a role model is, it's not your fault that you had poor models of success or, or whatever. But you, you do gain a certain amount of responsibility the more cognizant of that you become. Which is to say, once you become cognizant that you have poor models, I feel like we gain a certain amount of responsibility to find better models or at least to admit that those models aren't serving us 
and to begin to to question them. Kind of my 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 next note was like like here, here here's what I've been thinking about a lot. I, I I think about sci-fi fantasy and the fiction I try to imbibe is when I can and where I can as utopian as possible uh, because dystopias like I don't want that model to be what I come up with. The Walking Dead has never really appealed to me except as spectacle because the model it shows for who and what society is, the idea that the the zombies aren't the problem, people in a world of a zombie apocalypse are the problem, isn't one I want to see modeled. Like, that's why I appreciate Star Trek. For all of Gene Roddenberry's faults, Star Trek models a future where your skin color, your gender, your sexual orientation, none of that matters. Your religious background, your your socioeconomic background, like these are all insignificant in the world that Star Trek models. And I appreciate that. Star Wars models a world where uh, anyone might have magical power hidden inside of them or could become the greatest starfighter or can shoot laser cannons or whatever. Magic the Gathering has always appealed to me because you can you can always reinvent yourself. You can always change what you're doing. If one thing isn't working out, you can try something new. Uh, and that's also why um, I try to be funny because I think being... that That's why I appreciate humor uh, and try to model uh, laughing in the face of adversity. I kind of I went off the tracks here a little bit, but... The point I was trying to make with the, it, it, it's not your fault, right, is that, I'm going to use Harry Potter for this. It's not your fault if you grew up with Harry Potter as your frame of reference for right and wrong. Uh, it's, it's not your fault if you grew up around really bad people who modeled uh, abusive patterns for you, right? But once you're aware, like, hey, this J.K. Rowling lady has some really questionable views and that's going to show up in her fiction and is that what I want to model for myself or or uh uh you know are are these abusive and disruptive patterns what I want to model once you're aware that those exist you have a, a certain amount of responsibility to to question your relationship with them and I don't I don't know what the solution is to that you know because like I mean, maybe with fiction, it's it's easier to find a hundred things like Harry Potter, you know, but it's not as easy to find people who are going to do the job of being your parent. Uh, and that's kind of, that's why this, this modeling thing is, is a thing I wanted to talk about, because I don't think you personally, I don't think in therapy you ever solve your problems. Instead, you get tools to deal with your life and one of the things uh and a lot of toolkits is like a mirror to help you get a different perspective you know like dentists use that all the time when they're in your mouth uh, half the time they're using a mirror so they can see what's going on from a different perspective than if you're just going oh and and when you have a new perspective on modeling i want you to realize that like just because you had poor models it's not your fault you know but once you're aware of that you begin to have some responsibility to figure out what you want to do in relationship to that. I mean, that was kind of that was kind of everything I wanted to say on modeling. 
you know, there's no, there's no solution. I just want to give you a tool. And this time it's a, it's a mirror to kind of look at the models in your life. And if they're not serving you, you know, it, maybe it would behoove you to find models that do. I do think sometimes you can find these in fiction and media, or at least, at least find kind of the north that you can head towards. Uh, there's a truck parked right outside my window. So uh, I'm going to, if the audio gets a bit weird at this point, uh, sorry, I, uh, I'm going to wrap it up kind of with this. Ultimately, uh, like I said, if you, if you've had poor models in, in your life, it's, it's, it's really not your fault, right? Because I, I think one of the things as a society that we struggle with, uh, as far as becoming better people, becoming a better species is that we don't necessarily have a model for what that looks like. It, it's hard to know what a post-capitalist world will look like because we are so deeply entrenched within a, a capitalistic system that it's really difficult to envision a world without it. Like even in, in something maybe as, as pretty beatific and progressive as Star Trek, uh, the concept of what a better future is has changed as the present continues, right? And so they create new models all the time of what the future is. To a strong degree, I, I really can't, I, I can hold my dad accountable for his actions, for example, but I can't blame all of his actions uh, exclusively on him because he didn't have a model other than his own father. And no matter how good his dad was, he was still operating off of whatever software you're operating off of when you're born in the 1930s because he was operating off of the guidance, the models that was being taught to him by his father. And so the, the, the unique thing I have in my life is that I can, I am conscientious of the fact that these could be bad models and actively pursuing a solution against them. Uh, and let's just, let's just wrap this episode up. I'm, I've got construction going on outside. Uh, my timer's about to go off and, and I just, I just wanted to give a little, a little free therapeutic from therapy. I, I am consciously often thinking about uh, role models, models for success, that kind of thing. And uh, therapy has given that particular context to me that like it's it's not my fault. I thought I would I thought I would try a new format. If you if you like the format, be sure and tell the recyclables page on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter if you have it. Recyclables podcast and all those places. And if you want to support the show, if you want to become an executive producer, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables um you can do it for as little as a dollar a month if you want to do a hundred dollars a month if somehow one of you is like we should give this nerd a hundred dollars a month go ahead but you don't have to let me try this again uh patronage is whatever you want it starts at as low as a dollar a month which is actually lower than they recommend but i kind of i don't think i'm ever gonna become a thousandaire off of patreon so it's just more, do you want some exclusives? Do you want to make sure the show keeps getting made? Do you want to help me uh, make sure I don't fall completely behind on bills while I wait for disability? Uh, th those are all great reasons for sign up to sign up for the Patreon. 
you get early access to episodes, uh, you get a patron exclusive, uh, you also kind of get insights. Uh, every once in a while, I'll pop an essay up on there. We're also we're working on a project, and a sort of pilot episode was the most recent patron exclusive. Uh, my point is, if you can't afford to be a patron, that's fine. Uh, just listen to the show, and that's that's a great way to support the show. Uh, because the thing I want to model is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. You deserve access to entertainment and and other resources. And so Recyclables is always going to have a free, publicly available version of itself all the time. Uh, in part because the people who can afford to make the show work and continue to go. This is a thing I've seen modeled by other podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts is a guy called Blind Boy Podcast, and he talks about this all the time. Like He, he does an ad break mid-episode for his show because he's like, look, I don't want ads, uh, and I don't want ads either. And it's, it's a model I want to follow, uh, a model I'm willing to admit that I am... I'm sure he, he didn't come up with it himself, but he was the guy that made me really realize, like, no, I should take a moment and say, look, if you can't afford to be a patron, if you can't afford to support the show financially, that's fine. Being a listener is, is plenty of support. Taking these ideas that, that we talk about on the show and moving them out into the real world, it's a wonderful way to support the show, right? Like, that's a great model of success as far as I am concerned. That said, I still like to give a little shout out to the patrons, uh, who are essentially the executive producers of our podcast. So, so today I want to thank executive producer Kristen Rowan. Thank you for all of, all of your executive producing. Also, thank you. Uh, one of the models in my life for for how I live, Linda Grimes. Thank you, uh, Butterface Creations. Uh, you are an executive producer, but the way you carry yourself in the world is a model of success for me. Carrie Davis, you have modeled what it is to be a friend and a wonderful executive producer. Erica N., you have modeled what it is uh, like to be a stepsister and an excellent executive producer. Ash Alexander, you've been an executive model to produce... No, wait, I got that weird. You, you've been a wonderful role model, honestly, uh, and a great executive producer. Chella L., you are a, a favored executive producer, a model also... For a wonderful sister and i greatly appreciate you anyway uh <laughs> andrea miller andrea miller thank you for being a wonderful model of a human being and a, a, a executive producer par excellent rob campbell thank you for modeling what it is like to be a struggling artist as well as an amazing executive producer nova starlust i think you have modeled a lot of things for you just model and that's been great thank you for being an executive producer of the podcast Whitney Hampson, you, uh, you've been a model uh, comedian, uh, among other things, uh, like executive producer of this podcast. Stephanie Oxford, you have honestly modeled a lot of resilience to me. So, so thank you for that, and thank you for being an executive producer. Edwin Shibes, you've modeled a lot of positivity and support, and you've been also a model executive producer. Sabrina Phillips, uh, you were a model bartender when I drank. Uh, and you are a model executive producer now that I am not a drinking person. Uh, 
and and I just want to shout out you, the listener, for being a model listener. This has been Recyclables. The music is starting. I'm, this bit is never going to get old to me. All right, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Let's, uh, ooh, Jesus Christ, that was sharp. Let's turn that down just a bit. There we go, that sounds good. Thank you for picking up Recyclables today. Donations to the Acast streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.